You're listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. We are a local congregation in Lexington, Kentucky, and we would love to see you join God's restoring work of love in your life. You can find out more about us at restorationlex.com slash welcome. There's helpful links about how you can grow, how you can serve, and be good news in our city. Thanks for listening. Um, as Hannah mentioned earlier, we are in the first Sunday of the season of Lent, and I love Lent, I love the church calendar because we, we share these traditions across nationalities, across traditions, across uh, different denominations. We are entering into a season that invites us to kind of be honest about who we are and be honest about where we are in the process of our lives, about our sin and our stubbornness, about our weariness, about our wounds. And as we do that, Lent, as Sheena was talking about, which by the way, when she talked about the kids giving up screen time for uh, Lent, I, my wife started speaking in tongues. That sounds like a wonderful idea. <laughs> Wonderful. I would love to see if we can get that going. But when we talk about Lent, it's always usually very much about what we give up. And sometimes in the worst moments, we can make Lent a very navel-gazing sort of shame spiral of Christian guilt and doubt. And that's not what it is. What God reveals in this season, as we take a look at our own brokenness, God always reveals in order to heal. God does not reveal in order to condemn or to show us our sin in order to push us away. God reveals what is in us in order to heal and make us whole. And that's what the season of Lent is all about. The revelation of how we are truly in light of God. And then the healing of that. I love Chris Kamalski. He says that Lent is an intentional journey into the heart of Christ for the purpose of allowing Christ to journey deep within our own broken hearts, gently bringing us to death in order that we may have life again. In this journey, we we're finding ourselves in, in arguably the most central paradox of our faith, and that's that death is what brings life. When we die to ourselves, Jesus says, that's when life appears. When we surrender, that's actually where we find freedom. As we come to the end of ourselves, at the very end of our rope, that's where life is found. And so this intentional journey of Lent, always every year as you look at the scriptures, begins in the wilderness. It begins in a place where we are intentionally confronted with our need. The Gospel of Mark is where we find ourselves. And Mark is the shortest gospel. It is the oldest gospel. It was written sometime around 70 AD. And by both tradition and a lot of scholars believe that Mark was sort of the secretary for Peter. So when you're reading the Gospel of Mark, you're more than likely reading Peter's eyewitness account written down by John Mark, who we also meet in the book of Acts, which I always think that's so cool. We're not just reading stories that are disconnected from people who are actually in the room. This is what we're reading right here. So we're going to start here in Mark 1, verse 9, as we enter into the Lenten season. It says, And at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Let me pray for us. Those words, O oh Lord, 
These words of affirmation and love are what we all, no matter our background or our story or our denomination or our doubts or beliefs, this is what our souls long to hear. This is my son. This is my daughter whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And today as we begin this Lenten season, Lord, we begin knowing that in Christ you are speaking that over us. May you, by your word and by your spirit today, allow us to hear your words of love and affirmation and welcome right where we are in the midst of our mess. We pray that in your name, Lord. Amen. The ministry of Jesus begins in Mark right at the beginning. Mark doesn't go into the birth narrative. He doesn't go to any sort of fluffy theological language like the book of John does. He just starts right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And what you notice is that it doesn't begin with a flurry of action. It begins with this statement of identity. This is really astounding, I think, about this moment in the life of Jesus. The Father declares his love for the Son, his affirmation before Jesus, before Jesus had accomplished anything. Think about that. God speaks love and affirmation before every miracle, before every teaching, even before the cross and the empty tomb. The Father says, I love you and I'm pleased with you. Many of us, we've come to believe and we enter into church believing in this transactional God. We believe in a God who, you know, he loves us because of our actions, because of what we do. He loves us in response to what we say and what we do. And if this is the God that you believe in, you, you can never let your guard down. Because if God loves me in response to how well I'm behaving or how much I'm sinning or how I'm doing in my life, then I always am checking my balance to see if I'm at a good place. I can never truly rest around a transactional God. I can never truly be myself because I'm always concerned that love will lose its way. I must strive. I must produce. I must earn my way to affirmation no matter what it costs. And because of that, I'm always afraid. Probably, I'm just guessing, probably many of you know that feeling. Many of you have trusted in that transactional God. The God that says if you fail or if you falter, not if but when you do, you have to respond to do everything in your power to get yourself back in the good graces of this transactional God. This I know because I've had the conversations is an experience that many of us believe is a representation of the God revealed in Jesus. But what we see in this moment, in this story, is that Jesus shows us that that's not what our God is like. This is the beginning of the Lent season that speaks this remarkably clear message to us. Before we even start talking about sin, God says you are loved. God says right where you are in both success 
and in failures, in obedience and disobedience, before you even begin to talk about your sin, you have to know you are loved. God does not simply have love. God does not simply feel love. The scriptures make very clear to you and I, in 1 John, it says God is what God is, love. It is the essence of who God is. So what the Father, he's speaking over Jesus. What we believe in Christ is that now in him, he speaks that over you and I. Before we even accomplish anything, before our successes and failures, today, over you, God speaks, this is my son. You are my son, my daughter, whom I love, whom I'm well pleased. And you did nothing, nothing to earn what is being spoken over you. You can rest this morning. You can sit in that chair this morning not having to worry whether your singing voice or your behavior on the way in or the way out is going to determine whether God is present and with you and loving you. You can know today I can rest in his love. That's good news. Now the question is then, where does love like this lead us. And what happens next in this story might take you and I for a bit of surprise because this is a big supernatural moment where the the sky, it says, Mark says, is torn open and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and says, I love you. So what does that love do? Where does it lead? Let's continue reading. It's a bit strange. It says, at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm writing this story, that doesn't seem right. If, if I begin my ministry with this love and affirmation from the Father, I am ready to be shot out like a cannon to get towards the action. But still, even after the love and affirmation, Jesus doesn't begin the action. He moves into something entirely different. Right on the heels of divine affirmation, there's this profoundly spiritual moment. You are sent into the wilderness alone. It's one of those times as you look at the Bible translation, you have to pay attention. The NIV, I I love the NIV, but the NIV really does a disservice to this particular verse here. The NRSV, I think, does a better job. It says, and the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. I love the message paraphrase too. It gets this. It says, at once the same Spirit pushed Jesus out into the wild. This is more accurate because the Greek word here is ekbalo, meaning to cast out. The same word that is used in the Greek to talk about Jesus casting out demons is the word used here to talk about the Spirit casting out Jesus into the wilderness. How wild is that? This is a word that talks about an insistence driving out with force. The Holy Spirit, right after his baptism, drives Jesus out into the wilderness. His clothes are still wet from the Jordan, and he's gone. Jesus is driven out by force, by the Spirit of God, into a place of isolation, into a place of need. It's a place where 
in these desert places, you're confronted by doubt. You're confronted by your desires. It's easy in deserts, in wilderness, to feel like God is just absent. It's easy in deserts to question whether God is actually good. It's easy in deserts to wonder whether or not you still have that faith you once did or whether that faith has faltered altogether. One of my absolute joys as a pastor is getting to sit across tables from people who are brave enough to share that there are are in places where I, they're, they're just not sure what they believe anymore. They're, they're in seasons where there is maybe a personal crisis or a trauma that's left their trust in God completely shaken. Sometimes it's an experience with Christians or the church that has failed them and failed to live up to the Jesus that they claim to follow. I know that's happened many times. Sometimes it's this new season of life that, that has made the faith they once had seem unfamiliar now, and it's scary. Sometimes it's mental health, sometimes it's anxiety, depression, and wondering if these chemical imbalances that we don't feel like we can control occur and can coexist with this deeper trust in God that we are supposed to feel and to have. So many experiences with wilderness, with desert with wondering whether God is actually there. And whatever that is, or has been for you, or maybe is right now, it feels like wilderness. It's uncomfortable. It can be lonely. It can be scary. And the hardest part of all in that is you feel like you have lost your way, like God is going on this path right here, and you're over here. So you begin to think, what did I do wrong? How did I get here? Like God is abandoning you. Like God's just kind of going on his way, but you've gotten off track. And this is somehow your punishment for drifting away. I'm aware today that many of you in those wildernesses, you know and feel that anxiety. Many of you are probably feeling that anxiety and that fear right now. So I want to point to what I think is one of the most counterintuitive truths that we see in the scriptures. A truth that I think, right here, right now, is really comforting. And that's that the same God, who we just read, lavishes his love and affirmation on Jesus, is the same God who drove him into the desert. The same God who drove him into the wilderness. And he did so, hear this, he did so not as a denial of his love, but an expression of it. You found yourself in the wilderness not because you walked away from love, but because love led you there. Love led you into that place. And if that's true for Jesus, why wouldn't it be true for us who claim him, who want to follow him? And that the wilderness wasn't an accident in the life of Jesus. It's not a detour in ours. Maybe, just maybe, you are where you're supposed to be right. Here's what I have seen over and over again in conversations I've had with people in these places that what feels like losing our faith is actually a lot of times God helping us find it for the first time. What has felt like I lost what I had is actually the Lord saying, no, I'm taking you further and deeper into what you had. It's just not going to look like it used to. It's growing. It's moving forward. 
So yes, we're in a wilderness. We can aim, name that and own it, but it's a wilderness that is not here apart from God. Because like Jesus, we have been brought to this place, to this season, to this hardship, to this loneliness, to this suffering for a purpose. And what we see over and over again in the scriptures is that the wilderness is where love does its best work. It's where love does its best work in us. Something happens when we reframe our spiritual crisis as an invitation from God as spiritual renewal. Maybe it's not a crisis in the first place. Maybe God has led us to this place because there's something being formed deep within us. And what I have found over and over again is as we begin to embrace this wilderness, shift that focus it moves our questions. We begin asking different questions about our spiritual journeys. Like the wilderness, it moves us from this focus from why is this happening to me or why do I feel this way? It moves something in us towards what's that God actually doing in me? It's no longer about what's happening out there. Suddenly we begin to see something's happening in here that I need to pay attention to. Because if it was the love of God that drove Jesus into the wilderness, into this dependence, into this trust, there must be work that's happening in me in this wilderness. There must be work that's stirring in me right now. There must be change that God is desiring in me. If I'm here, I'm not here by accident. If I'm here, I'm not here because I got off track. I'm here because I've been led to this place by love. God, love me enough to let me enter into this wilderness. Today, for me, is sort of a strange anniversary. It marks three months to the day since we came home uh, on a Saturday night, and our, there was about that much water standing in our entire home. There's a busted toilet line, and it's actually the two-month anniversary as well of our second flood where a pipe burst and shot out of the wall and flooded the very same home, which was, at that point, we just laughed because there was nothing left to, to do but laugh. There was just so much happening. It was already a difficult year for us personally. There was deaths in our family, struggles, and this crisis that came at the end of the year, it was for us, I've, I know I've talked about it before, but it was very disorienting. It felt so strange. It was very much like a wilderness, like I felt lost, like I was wondering, God, Am I doing something? I told a friend. I was like, I feel like I ran over Jesus' dog or something. Like, it's getting dark out here. Like, it's rough. And when the dust began to settle, literally and figuratively, when the dust began to settle, I was finally able to just slow down and, and begin asking that question. No, no more like, why is this happening? But God, what are you doing in me? What are you doing in me? I mean, I don't know why all this happened. I, I, I know that God has a purpose. I don't think he came down on a Saturday and thought, you know what, Justin needs to grow. I'm going to go snap that toilet line in his house. And That's not the way God works. I know, but I know that God does not waste what we've been led into either. So we found ourselves for the last three months, we've, we've been depending on other people. And as, as I have looked at my own inner journey, as I've asked that question, what is God doing in me? I, that's a dangerous question because once you start looking at that question, 
you start seeing things you don't want to see. Now, I don't know if you've ever asked that question of yourself. What is God doing in me right now and tried to hold up a mirror and see what the Lord is actually stirring within you? You don't always get the answers you want. I started seeing a lot of things in me that, that needed to die. Like I said, we, we had to depend on a lot of people. More than we've ever depended on people in our adult life. And that was so humbling. And, and the more I allowed to see that what the Spirit was doing was driving me into this wilderness and not something happened to me, I, I began to notice I was trusting in a counterfeit gospel that told me that if I was a good Christian, stuff like this doesn't happen. Or more so, if I was a good pastor, this kind of stuff doesn't happen. Because you know the good ones, they, they don't suffer. They don't, they don't have needs. They're, the good leaders, they're self-sufficient. They, they, they rarely have issues or weaknesses. They just have podcasts and books. And so I began to internalize this, not even really realizing it, thinking that if I did my job right, none of this stuff would have happened. These kind of things don't happen when you're doing it right. You see, I can stand up here on a weekly basis and tell you, don't believe in that transactional God, but when you're led into the desert, you see which one you're trusting in either way. You see which one you're trusting in either way. And to be honest, I even share with struggling, struggled to, to share this today because I, to show weakness, to show need, to show struggle is difficult because I've grown up in a world with pastoring and with ministry where you just don't do that. You try to look like you have it all together for many reasons because pridefully you want to have a reputation where everyone thinks you're doing well. And then unpridefully, really, you've seen your, we your weakness weaponized against you. You share it and it becomes fodder for someone else to use in their attacks. But what the wilderness brought me to, in me, was an idol. The idol of my own pride. The idol of my own self-sufficiency my spiritual self-sufficiency. And so as I saw that and began and still see it, I understood more clearly what Lent, the season, becomes about for us. That God loved me enough to not let me trust in a God who does not exist. God loves me enough to reveal the ways I've put my trust in things that are bringing nothing but fear and anxiety and only bring my trust to a God who loves me where I am as I am. A God who says, I can stand in front of my church today and say, this sucks <laughs> and it's okay. What I've learned time and time again is that the Spirit of God never wastes the wilderness. And if God doesn't waste the wilderness, 
then I can willingly enter into it with expectation that love's about to do a work. Now, Lent is an opportunity to intentionally enter that wilderness, whether you're there or not. To intentionally confront your own sin and need. To intentionally take an honest look at where you are, your brokenness, your fears, your failures, and to see and understand that in looking headlong at these places in you, God only reveals what he's going to heal. I could not have seen that if God did not lead me there. And I could not have had the courage to look at my sin, and you don't really have the courage, I would say, to look at your sin unless we know what happens on the other side of Lent. You see, we're taking 40 days moving forward towards something that's not just navel-gazing and shame-spiraling because what we are moving towards together as a family in Lent is the cross. And what we move towards in the cross is not a matter of our shame and our sin. If that is what this whole season is about, is sitting around and talking about how bad we are, I'm out. This world is heavy enough, y'all, right? We don't need to show up to church every week and feel the heaviness of something that is not lifted by the hope that's also there at the same time. This world is heavy. And what we see in Lent, moving forward, the centerpiece of the cross and ultimately the empty tomb makes possible what we have been led into to bring forth life. What the wilderness reveals, the cross ultimately heals. What the wilderness brings out, the cross can make a way towards. We find ourselves in this Lenten opportunity, not simply to name our shame and weariness and pain and trauma, all these things that abide in us, but as we see them and hold them and name them with honesty, we bring them to the cross of Jesus because that's where they are healed. God will reveal it, yes, but I'm telling you, he's going to heal it. He does not reveal what he does not heal. I will. <laughs> and what I love is that something has, when we talk about the cross, it's not just this symbol. It's, we're talking about an event in history. Something happened in history for you. Something happened in history on your behalf where God in flesh willingly took on your sin and shame in his own wilderness. And he broke the power of that sin and shame by bearing it in himself. And as he does this, he makes all things new again. I love how Henry Nouwen describes this. He says, when you look inside yourself, you might sometimes be overwhelmed by all the brokenness and confusion. But when you look outside towards him who died on the cross for you, you might suddenly realize that your brokenness has been lived through for you long before you touched it yourself. Think about that. Brother Nouwen is preaching. Every sin you have, every shame and brokenness, Jesus has already lived and died and risen on behalf for you. What a relief. So today as this season moves forward, 
I want to encourage you, don't waste your wilderness. Don't waste the wilderness that you're being led into. Have the courage to let the Spirit drive you out of comfort, drive you out of self-sufficiency, drive you out of a religious spirit into the wholeness of Christ that is awaiting you as we bring forth what's in us to be healed at the cross. That's the confidence we have today as we take these elements of communion. We do this in remembrance of the act of God in Christ at the cross. We take these elements here on the table. There's some in the back as well. We do this on a weekly basis for this very reason to remember that in our sin and shame that we bring in, that sometimes we're able to name, sometimes we're not, we can come and with this simple act, this simple symbol of trust, remember, I take of the body and the blood of Jesus which has made me whole. And my sin and shame can be confessed and named because I know on the other side what is being revealed in me is being healed in Christ. So I can take these elements and be reminded of that. I want to pray for us and let's move forward as we respond to what the Lord is doing. Jesus, 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 I am reminded this morning again and again how beautiful it is to see your face and the face of your people here. When I stand here and look out at stories of men and women who are made in your image, who themselves have experienced pain and fear, sin, failure, a wilderness of their own, I remember that what unites us today is what you have accomplished for us on the cross. So in our story, not just as something that just sits out there as an idea, but truly in our story today, will you meet us in our sin and shame, in our doubts and fears, in our wilderness, will you meet us and lead us to the cross we might find healing in you? We pray this in your